now on Radio Italia Uno, it's time to change the world with Matt McQuinley. The energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And the glow from that fire can truly light the world. We focus on changing the world for the better by taking personal responsibility, canceling cancel culture, discussing and listening to each other on topics like leadership, cultural trends, business, history, and more. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Right now on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. Hello and welcome to Change the World with Matt McQuinley. A couple weeks ago, we finished our eight-part series on leadership with NeuroChange Master and Performance Coach Gwen Meyer. I urge you to take a listen to it on our podcast. You can hear it on Spotify, Anchor, or on our Facebook page, which is Change the World with Matt McQuinley, M-A-T-T-M-C-Q-U-I-N-L-E-Y. The last session, session eight, is a recap of all the previous sessions. You could listen to that and then hear which parts you might be most interested in, or you could, my preference, listen to the whole thing in toto. We're continuing today our three-part series on policing. I wanted to do this series in part to combat the narrative that all law enforcement officers are bloodthirsty fascists worse than the people they arrest and that they are a large part of society's problem instead of a group of people that's highly motivated to be part of the solution. We have in our studio today Derek McManus, who is a sniper, special ops diver, counter-terrorist operative with the Elite Star Group in the South Australia Police Department. Star Group, of course, stands for Special Tasks and Rescue Force. During a high-risk arrest, he was shot 14 times in five seconds by a high-powered rifle, and because of his situation, could not be reached to be given medical attention for over three hours. After his full recovery, two and a half years later, he was returned to the police department and continued his law enforcement career at full-duty capacity in the Star Group finishing out his 42 years in law enforcement in the year 2018. He now runs a public speaking training company called the Center for Human Durability. You can look into utilizing his services for your organization on his website, DerekMcManus.com, D-E-R-R-I-C-K-M-C-M-A-N-U-S.com. We also have retired police sergeant Marshall McQuinley. Full disclosure, my father. He's a retired police officer from the Aurora Police Department, which is a suburb of Chicago. He attained the rank of sergeant. His assignments in his 26 years included two and a half years in the gang task force, two and a half years in the domestic violence unit, six years as a field training officer, four years in the juvenile department, and 10 years in patrol. In the last session, we discussed that only 48% of people in the United States approve of law enforcement. And that number in Australia is only 56%, down from 82% just two years ago. We also discussed some of the potential ways the general public could be engaged in helping the police and therefore helping their own communities be safer. Some of the high points of the last discussion were Derek McManus discussing how they would put members of the general public through a shoot-no-shoot computer simulation. And what they found was the general public, when put through this simulation, would shoot 65% of the time way too early. 15 or 20% of the people would not shoot at all, and the other 20% was about where we'd like them to be. So 
we need to recognize that the police have a very difficult job. Sergeant McCrinley brought up and Derek expanded on the point that the police are the public and the public are the police. The difference is merely that the police, in Sir Robert Peel's words, the founder of the London Police Department, that police are the only members of the public which are paid to give full-time attention to the duties which are incumbent on every citizen in the interest of the community's welfare and existence. Put another way, we're all police and the police are us. We're all in this together. We all want safe communities. We all want opportunities for our family. So I think what the point really needs to be made is the same point that we made in the wrap-up of the leadership series that we did recently is we need to go back to some extent to the ancient truths or the truths of the past, which in leadership we talked about how Cicero, Lao Tzu, Jesus of Nazareth talked about leadership as service. Well, so is policing. Policing is service. And the three points that really came out in the last discussion from Sir Robert Peel was that the goal of policing is not catching criminals. The goal of policing is having low crime statistics, not high arrests. That the key is public support, that everyone has to accept responsibility as a citizen for crime prevention. And the third point is that police must earn support by respecting the community, its principles, building a reputation just like we do in business and in our personal lives, enforcing the laws impartially and using force as a last result. Or as Derek often says, just being a better person. I want to talk today about the broken windows theory, which I read a book years and years ago that Rudy Giuliani wrote after September 11th. He, of course, was the mayor of New York City, and he's a large proponent of broken windows theory. Broken windows theory basically says that someone sees broken windows in a factory or a house or whatever. If the community looks run down, people will respect it less and crime will increase. So if you keep everything looking nice, people will treat the place with respect. If you stop small crimes, then it won't lead to bigger crimes or sort of like gateway drugs with narcotics. So I'm going to hand this over to our experts. Would you like to start, Sergeant McQuinley? Sure. Broken windows theory, uh, tried and true process here in the U.S., is an extension, or maybe I should say a uh, predecessor, of something called crime prevention through environmental design. Broken windows says if window is broken and you don't repair it, then you're giving tacit approval to the rest of the community that it's okay to... Uh, trash the building and its immediate surroundings. And with crime prevention through environmental design, otherwise known as SEPTED, because we're real big on uh, acronyms here, <laughs> the uh, idea is to target harden your property. And one of the things that a really minor event was that uh, during in a uh, public housing complex, we uh, had the people uh, had the uh, uh, the public housing department, uh, housing and urban de urban development representatives, maintained the uh, groundwork at a better level than was uh, before, because we would go into a uh, public housing property, and everything is brown. There's no grass. Uh, the the buildings are brown. You know, there's dirt and garbage and and broken concrete and 
everything everywhere. So one of the things that we proceeded to do was to clean the, the area up. Trash collectors donated a dumpster or two, and we removed a bunch of the concrete and things like that with the community's help. You know, uh, we weren't exactly out there with shovels and, and rakes doing this ourselves, but we were uh, spearheading the thing, so to speak. And one of the things that we did was to encourage people to plant little stakes along their property and put little tiny chain link looking plastic fence along that barrier to their property, to their land, to their yard or whatever it would be. And people would begin to respect that and not walk on their property. And slowly but surely, it started to gain a little bit more um, curb appeal. So things like that with uh, pushing the broken windows theory to the nth degree seems to have help provide a, uh, a better living conditions or certainly at least a, a more uh, attractive living condition. Now, some of those kids still, unfortunately, still had to sleep in the bathtub because they were worried about the shots fired calls going out through the night and things like that. But that's, that's a whole other issue way down the road along with uh, community policing and neighborhood-oriented policing and problem solving. I know that uh, Harvard did a study in Massachusetts that was very similar to what you just said. And I know that they recorded a 20% decline in reduction to calls to police after that. Another Netherlands mm-hmm. did a similar study and they did one in like 2007, 2008, something like that, and found the same conclusion. So the critics of broken windows theory, including BLM, say that what it's doing is, and, and I don't want to misquote or mischaracterize the position, but basically, that in my understanding that their argument is that by cleaning up well they're they're afraid that you're gentrifying the community because you're cleaning up the community so much that the property rates are going to increase and then all the poor people are going to have to move out oh okay so that's their 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 problem with it so well i i can argue that point in that experiment we tried was in public housing okay all right fixed uh rate for Living there and a resident will stay there as long as his or her uh, income within the guidelines. Mm. Okay. From the Australian experience uh, with the broken windows theory and environmental design, which has become a a big part of policing in South Australia, proactive preventative policing so that, as you pointed out at the beginning of this session, that our plan is not to catch more criminals but to prevent crime. So uh, my understanding is that um, the broken windows theory came from experiences with Chicago factories. So uh, you know, back in your end of the town, Marshall, where uh, some of the factory owners, when the broken when the windows were broken, they would fix them, and then the criminals who were breaking windows would actually leave that factory alone and just go and continue to smash the windows where they weren't being fixed. So that that's where the th- as I understand it that's where the theory came from and our experience in Australia is uh, or my experience within South Australia is uh, watching the people who eradicate graffiti when the graffiti is being cleaned up on a continual basis the graffiti artists go and find somewhere else to do it because they want their graffiti to stay up for a long time so those people who are always cleaning it up they actually get less attention. And environmental design, there's a interchange where the trains meet buses and people can interchange from one mode of transport to, a, to the other. And this interchange in particular that I'm thinking about is down in Salisbury. And there were a lot of criminals hanging around the interchange because they knew they could find people to rob and harass and all those sorts of things. 
So they had a look at the environment and they said, well, there's a lot of trees here for the criminals to be hiding behind and protect themselves and just spring out on people. And they didn't want to take the trees away. So what they did was they cut them, pruned them, so that they were able to see around the trees to about head height. So the trees were still there, branches, leaves and everything was above head height and it was very visible throughout and the criminals have gone, okay, this is not a good place to be anymore. Wow. Um, and so crime there was reduced. So instead of trying to catch criminals, we take away the opportunity for them through envir- environmental design. That's crazy. It's just like setting up a security perimeter basically. Derek, the point you were making before about broken windows theory reminded me of the, back in the late 60s, Stanford did a study and they took a car and they put it in, I think it was the Bronx and they wanted to see what would happen. And then they put another car in Palo Alto, California, which is a more affluent area back then. And what they found was, And they wanted to see how long it would take. They abandoned it, and they wanted to see how long it would take for it to be vandalized or stolen or whatever, okay? And they, you know, watched it, you know, surreptitiously. And the first people that came and robbed it were a family, uh, a mom and a dad and a couple kids stole the battery out of the car. And then then it just went downhill for there. And it took, like, less than 24 hours for that to happen. And then they put this car in Palo Alto, and it sat there for a week— and nothing happened to it. And then the researchers, they popped out one of the windows, uh, broke one of the windows or cracked one of the windows. And then again, right away, then all the vandalism started. You're, uh, you're probably going to have to so, explain the demographics of those two uh, uh, locations well, for your Australian listeners because yeah, I don't know Palo Alto. That's a rich suburb in California at that okay. time. Yeah. The Bronx in New York is a rough neighborhood. Right. So that just is going exactly what you're saying. It's, it's proven by experiment rather than just, obs- uh, uh, just us layman observations. On that note, we're going to hear from our sponsors. Looking for a new coffee machine for your home or workplace? Look no further than Fine Choice Coffee Solutions, your experts in all things coffee. Why not come in for a chat and a special coffee tasting? You'll find us at 264 Gilbert Street in the city. Mention Radio Dalia Uno and you will receive a free 250 gram bag of freshly roasted coffee beans. You can also shop online at www.fccoffee.com.au where you'll find our large range of premium roasted coffee beans, coffee machines, accessories, hot chocolates, teas and lots, lots more. I'm Danielle from Fine Choice Coffee Solutions, your one-stop shop for all things caffeine. Ruja of Chapel Funerals. My role as a funeral director is to guide you through the emotional process of saying goodbye to someone you love. I'm here to help you make all the necessary arrangements so that you and your family may have peace of mind and time to remember and celebrate the life of the person you've lost. When the time comes, I'm here for you, so please call me, Anna Faruja, at Chapel Funerals on 81825100. Hi, this is David Heath, and I'm excited to be bringing my program Soundtrack of Your Life to Radio Italia Uno. Join me Friday nights at 7 for interesting guests, some great music, and plenty of fun. It's the best way to kick off the weekend. Soundtrack of Your Life, Friday nights from 7 until 9 on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. 
piace la musica? Hai voglia di metterti in gioco? Entusiasmo e personalità non ti mancano? Radio Italia 1 sta cercando te! Chiama l'82 123177 e anche tu avrai la possibilità di entrare a far parte del nostro team. Radio Italia 1, diamo voce alla tua voce. Radio Italia 1 You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. Hello and welcome back to Change the World with Matt McQuinley. During the break, we were discussing Septed a little bit more in detail, as we do, and the fellas came up with some great things that we can discuss where all of us in our personal lives and business lives can apply that philosophy to make ourselves and our community safer. So, Derek, would you like to bring up a couple of the points we were talking about in the break? Yeah, the uh, principles that uh, your father, Marshall, were, uh, was talking about in uh, hardening security around buildings for businesses. The same, thing, same sort of thing applies to uh, home as well, where uh, we're able to take a look at the home environment, and particularly for women coming home late at night who don't feel safe going from their car to their Uh, front door. Uh, We're able to take a look at the design of the gardens, trees, uh, barriers, all those sorts of things where criminals may be able to hide. And if we're able to eliminate those hiding spots uh, instantly, whether it's women, whether it's just a family coming home, children or whatever, so long as they can see the practicality of a a clear pathway between where they park and where they go through their front door, they suddenly start coming home and they feel comfortable coming home again. So, so the same sort of things can be applied to businesses as well as homes. Sergeant McQuinley, you, you have any tips on businesses that they can uh, implement? Well, sure. We, uh, a good friend of mine and I were uh, considered to be the SEPTED, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, professionals, the, uh, the only trained people in our department. And we were called on several times, businesses, to, especially those that were already under construction uh, and not yet finished. But we also visited some that were already in operation. But one of the things that we were taught and continued to point out to uh, retailers was your trash bins. Employee theft is probably one of the biggest costs for retailers. And if you can't trust your employees, well, perhaps your incoming product coming in through receiving right next door to the uh, trash, your product could end up in the trash and be picked up later by that employee or his or her accomplice. So we tried to uh, convince retailers to move those two products or two areas rather further apart. And also signs and lights and ropes. People respect those things by and large. There's always going to be somebody to pick up the rope and go through it or go over it or around it or around it or whatever. But uh, by and large, people will respect things that limit access. For example, why do you think Disney World has those mazes to get into their attraction. Not only does it save from having the line go from uh, Magic Mountain to uh, another part of the park, but it also has people funneling people into that location without being able to jump ahead of someone else or whatever. You know, if they're being basically controlled and uh, that kind of thing, uh, you know, I'm sure that none of the theme park operators will admit it to that but uh, that's basically what we're doing is we're controlling people and we can do the same thing in schools and in uh, shopping malls and things like that with just some signs and some lights and a a rope or two here or there or a a plastic chain things like that would normally limit access or redirect people where we want them 
Another thing that we were talking about during the break was uh, opportunistic crime. I don't know the exact percentage, but there's a good percentage of crime which is just committed by opportunistic criminals. These are not people that go out intent on committing crime, but they see an opportunity, they think they can get away with it. Why not? And so if we take away those opportunities, then the community is going to be better behaved because they don't see those opportunities so they won't commit the crime. Uh, Most people want to do the right thing, but if they think they can get away with it, sometimes they just do. So a lot of environmental design is just taking away opportunities. Mm. And as a business person, you're already doing this. So you're just applying it to for a different objective. In retail, you, you've set up your store in such a way that people are going to walk by things that you want them to walk by. Yes. You know, I mean, you go to Ikea, you cannot escape without looking at everything. I mean, it's, you know, it, you have to go through all these convoluted, I, want, I just want to get out. But you have to look at everything before you can get out. And that's how a lot of businesses are set up. I mean, you've got, you, you, you are funneling people in certain directions to look at certain products that you're trying to sell. You're doing the same, you're using the same idea, except you're using it for safety, security, and loss prevention. I'm just going to jump in there um, and say the same thing happens at Officeworks and Woolworths and Coles and all those things. They put all the chocolates next to the uh, checkouts where people are going to be spending time, they're getting bored. So, oh, okay, well, I'm bored, I'll just buy a chocolate and... So the same sort of thing happens, yeah. Mm. And uh, I read another point that you fellas were making that I wanted to bring up is when you were talking about loss prevention uh, from your employees, the number one reason why small businesses go bankrupt in a Carl May study that I read recently, this was pre-COVID, was employee theft. So it wasn't because they weren't running a profitable business. It wasn't because of, of any of these other factors, advertising, market changes, whatever, wasn't consumer theft, it was employee theft. So obviously there needs to be things put in place to protect yourself from that. All right, well, let's move on. I want to jump back to what we were talking about before on the uh, the last episode, a little bit about the Ferguson effect, where it seems like sometimes because recently, because of all of the things that have been going on in the United States with Black Lives Matter and, and rioting in Portland and all these other places, uh, Minneapolis, Chicago to some extent, a very small extent compared to other places, is a lot of police are leaving in droves right now in the United States. And the reason I talk about that is because Australia, and I hope I'm not offending anybody here, sometimes follows the same trend as the U.S., but a little bit later. Yep, absolutely. So, you know, that's why it's relevant to talk about what's happening over there for an Australian audience. So uh, uh, police are retiring in droves. They're concerned about losing their pensions. They're concerned about their families being targeted they're concerned about perception that they're, you know, out there to hold the status quo and keep down people that are in the socioeconomic class that they'd like to be in. And as a result, crime has skyrocketed in the U.S. after, what is it, two or three decades of it plummeting. Okay. So murders are up in some places over 100%. Crime is up everywhere in the United States right now. And I would like to talk a little bit about the Ferguson effect and if there's anything that can be done to back that. And part of the reason I wanted to do this show was to emphasize that the police are trying to help us. You know, this is all, we're all in this mess together and we're going to get out of it together. And everybody needs to work together to do that. So 
Any feedback on that since you're in, in the United States, Sergeant McQuinley? People, officers like the man that knelt on George Floyd's neck in Minneapolis and ended up killing him. Men like that, men and women like that, that are uh, abusing their power, give a black eye to everybody that's ever donned the uniform anywhere in the world. These are not the norm within any industry, any policing, not industry, but any policing anywhere in, in, in this country. And I'm sure it's the same around the world and most. But those are the ones that get the headlines. You don't find police officers help old lady across the street in the men's traffic jam. Film at 11. Ah, that's not going to show up. That's not going to happen. You know, if it bleeds, it leads. And, of course, that's what the uh, the news industry, that's their policies. If it bleeds, it leads. You know, it's a, we want sensational stories. And, unfortunately, those few sensational stories become what most people think are the norm within policing. And it's a very difficult role to break out of when we're all being painted with that same brush. Now, Chicago, for example, is having a horrible homicide spree. And, you know, the things like uh, crime prevention through environmental design and neighborhood policing and things like that, yeah, those are uh, positive influences. But as I like to say, you know, when the house is on fire, there's no time to check the batteries in the smoke detector. First, we got to try to get this thing back under control and find out who's responsible for all these shootings and homicides and wounding of people and try to uh, address that issue head on with more traditional policing. And then try to, uh, after the fire, so to speak, is out, then we try to do the officer-friendly type thing and try to engage the community to try to prevent such a, a occurrence in the future or certainly slow down those occurrences. Do you have anything you'd like to add to that, Tarek? Or? Yeah, I, uh, I completely agree with Marshall in relation to media responsibility. Media are in a business, and we need to understand that media are in a business. They're not in a business of telling you all the good news. They're in the business of making money by people watching TV. People watch sensational stuff. They don't watch the nice stuff because that gives them a nice feeling, but there's controversy in something sensational, something going wrong, people getting scared. There's money in that. And we've got to understand that's what the media is into, and it's unfortunate that it's that way. They will tell you that they like to report on what is happening in the world, but unfortunately they do focus on that sensational stuff that gets people's attention, and generally that's negative stuff. We need to understand that and put that into our uh, logic of what's going on in the world. But most people just think, oh, well, that's what the media is reporting on. That's exactly what's happening in the world. The world's going downhill. I've had many discussions that I don't think the percentage of crime has increased. It's just that we've got more people in the world, so there's more negative stuff to report, and that's what the media focus on. There are still beautiful people in the world, but we just don't get to hear about it. We hear about all the negative stuff. So people are starting to think that the world is going downhill. That's the attitude that gets in their mind and it's endemic within society that, oh, you know, the world is going downhill, there's more crime. I don't think that's true. Uh, and the media have a, a great responsibility for that. And Marshall mentioned going back to traditional policing to try and reduce crime. And I'm going to kick back to what we started off with. Traditional policing is just people being better people. And that's what we've got to come back to. It's not the police responsibility, it's society's responsibility. We've got to do something together as society to reduce crime and certainly re reduce the number of murders in America as well. I would like to think that crime is cyclic and that at some point it runs its, its own cycle. I was in the gang unit for a number of years and uh, someone asked me once, 
when is this gang problem going to go away? <laughs> and I said, it'll go away as soon as kids are determined they don't want to be, be a gang member anymore. And there's very little, if anything, that we could do to stop them. But at the same time, we still have to go into the, under, unfortunately, into the grade schools and teach about gang awareness and the uh, uh, pitfalls of joining a gang. When I was in the gang unit, one of the things I would tell the kids is, what's the best possible thing you can think of about being in a gang? And they would come up with a whole bunch of things like money and cars and girls and things like that. And I'd say, okay, what's the worst thing that can happen to you? And it's death. What on this side of the chalkboard is worth what's on that side of the chalkboard? And you can see little light bulbs start to come on. And these uh, 9, 10, 12-year-old kids that either had a relative or knew somebody that was in a gang. And we can use that kind of information to hopefully interrupt that cycle of violence that keeps going about. But it's, I believe it's a cyclic thing. And sooner or later, we're going to realize that we can defeat that just by stepping off to the side and letting it go past. And as Derek was saying, yeah, the media does have a big responsibility for this, but also our our filmmakers and our people that produce television and movies and things here in the U.S. are have a big responsibility in this and have to have a big share in this. And sure, it's lining people's pockets, but it's also uh, undermining the life in this country, and I'm sure as others as well as we export those films. It's funny you say that because uh, Hollywood are always the ones that are that are you know uh, supposedly the social justice warriors you know saying mm. oh this is horrible every gun in America collected we need the police are terrible blah 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 and yet they're the ones that are creating the atmosphere that's glorifying the violence so um, right. I, I, yeah I just think that's funny the dichotomy there kind of like. <laughs> Nike right. Nike well, stance with the U.S. Election, government versus the Chinese government. But that's another, those are other shows. Instead of push now to, in America, to defund the police, how about we start another one for defend the police? Mm. Yeah. I think that's a great place to stop, and we're going to pick up with the defund the police movement in the next session. Yo! Ciao, Armando Paradiso from Unique Stone, delivering quality stone tops to South Australia for over 20 years. Granite, marble, Caesar Stone, Unique Stone, Granito, Marmo, Caesar Stone, Unique Stone. Thinking stone bench tops to your kitchen, bathroom, or furniture? Unique Stone at Jacobson Crescent, Holden Hill. Call us now. 8266-2280 Unique Stone We won't be beaten Come on Che stai facendo? Yo Chiama adesso Lo sapevi che l'82% delle persone richiama più facilmente il nome di un'azienda vedendolo scritto su carta che in una pubblicità sui social media? Continua a valorizzare i metodi più tradizionali toccare e tenere nelle proprie mani biglietti da visita, calendari promozionali, cataloghi Maria Studio Printing è il tuo partner creativo di stampa e di marketing ideale Si occupano di graphic design, sviluppo web, gestione di stampa, routing CNC e 3D carving fotografia commerciale e riprese offrendo consegne nello stesso giorno o entro tre giorni lavorativi. Maria Studio Printing può portare alla luce i tuoi progetti e crescere la tua impresa è facile. Per saperne di più, chiama l'8352-1268. Join me, Ron Fiedler and Karen Fiedler each Saturday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. for Talking Real Estate, your guide to real estate in Adelaide and South Australia. We'll bring you the latest local real estate news, interviews, tips and advice from property experts. 
plus report on the Italian property market and let you know about the week's open homes and upcoming auctions. And don't forget, I'll be bringing you my open home of the week. On Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM, Talking Real Estate, every Saturday morning from 9 till 10am. Be in the know with Adelaide's local real estate show. Radio Italia Uno Sito internet www.italiauno.com.au Seguici anche sulla nostra pagina Facebook e Instagram Radio Italia Uno You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno 87.6 FM Hello and welcome back to Change the World with Matt McQuinley. We have in our studio Derek McManus, 42-year veteran of the Star Group in the South Australia Police Department, and 26-year veteran Sergeant McQuinley from Chicagoland, Aurora, Illinois. We're going to pick up our conversation that we just left off on a little bit about gangs. Derek, you had some points that you... Yeah, absolutely. This goes back to uh, being a better society, being more inclusive. There is some theory behind the fact that gangs are built by kids who are excluded from normal society because everybody's looking for community, everybody's looking for connection, everybody's looking for someone who cares about them. And when you get the kid who's excluded, he's not included in the in the playground and nobody wants to talk to him, they feel alone and the gangs pick up on these kids and they go, hey, nobody else likes you, we like you, come with us, but you've got to prove yourself. So the kids go into there because they think somebody cares about them, somebody's going to pay them attention, they're going to have someone to relate to, uh, and they will do whatever they need to to stay part of that community. And that's a lot of where gangs are formed and where what attracts some kids into going into gangs. No logical conversation will stop them because they want someone to relate to. And so this just comes back to us being a better society again. If we are more inclusive and more considerate to everybody in society, make sure that everybody's included, then we're going to have less problems with gangs. And that's Derek's opinion based on some theoretical work and some work done by the universities. Uh, But that's my interpretation of that work. If we're a better society, kids won't feel excluded. They'll be less likely going to gangs. Mm. That's a great point. Any Anything to add on to that, Sergeant McQuinley? It's been around for a long time, as Derek points out. You know, it's uh, the uh, people that end up in gangs are uh, somewhat left behind by society. For example, let's go back to Oliver Twist and Fagan. Yeah. Mm. Long time ago. This, is, uh, this has been recognized for centuries. And one of the things that, as Derek was saying, these kids are looking for is acceptance. And when... They don't get acceptance anywhere else. The gang leaders are more than willing to provide that acceptance and show them a, a membership of family. One of the uh, kids that I spoke to once said that he was a, uh, I'm not going to advertise for that gang, even though we're million, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of miles apart, but I will be a member of this organization now and for the rest of my life. Uh, which was, unfortunately for that young man, very short because he was killed in a drive-by about 18 months later. If you ask people in, in this country, where did, where did gangs come from? You'll hear about things like the 1960s with the guys in their motorcycles and their slick back hair and, and all that kind of stuff. And then you'll hear a little bit about the mafia and that. But in actuality, it started in the Five Points Districts in New York City, and it was the Irish that had, been, uh, that had migrated to America and were turned away from jobs and housing and just about anything else 
So they resorted to criminal behaviors and created gangs, and that's in New York City, and that was the big beginning of gangs in uh, in this country. Mm. Okay, well, let's let's move on real quick to another another topic. We we wanted to talk a little bit about actually. Let let's go back to uh, real quick what the 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 Ferguson effect. I, I was reading recently that seventy two percent of police are less likely to stop an African-American that's suspected of a crime, that they suspect is acting suspicious or in a criminal manner now than they were previously because of all of the racial unrest in the United States and D.C. and Los Angeles, all the riots, D.C., Los Angeles, Minneapolis, Portland, all those places. And obviously, racially profiling somebody is not really a path that I think police departments want to go down for obvious reasons, you know, because we all want to be better people. But it seems like the reticence of police, that police are, some police are fear or afraid to actually go out and do their jobs to some extent. And I don't think that's an idea that we want in, in, in their heads. I mean, especially now they're doing all this defund the police thing. The whole narrative, again, that we're trying to fight of the police are part of the problem instead of part of the solution. So I'd like to start talking a little bit about that. I mean, I, I think that leads to chaos uh, uh, and, and societal breakdown. I mean, in Paris, there are no-go zones where police will not even go into now in, in some of the ethnic Muslim communities. I mean, in, in the past, there have been places in Chicago and Watts and things like that where the police will go need to have uh, four-man cars or four-person cars, rather, where two of the people are merely there two are to respond to the call one is to watch the car and one is to watch the high rises to make sure that nothing's being thrown down at police in places like Watts and Cabrini Green these are housing projects and and, and ghettos in in America so i like to get you guys' feedback on the defund the police movement and what can be done to combat that assuming you feel it's a bad thing I'm going to let you lead with that, Marshall, because uh, it's more effect in America than it is in Australia. Okay. That that you put out there, Matt, about 72%, to me, that's disheartening. I, I hate to hear that. I can't say that I would argue that it's an invalid statistic because of some of the uh, attitudes that are going on now. And also, it's uh, uh, one of the reasons that people that the cops aren't making as many stops as they used to, and it has nothing to do with racial overtones or anything, is because of this COVID scare. I heard a lot of the cops tell me that, hey, I'm not going to stop anybody. I don't have somebody cough on me and uh, make me sick. Uh, but uh, the uh, 72% thing, that that's just that's so disheartening. I feel deflated when I hear things like that. Well, the actual, this um, came from USA Today. Okay, and the actual way the question was asked, well, was responded to is 72% of police are less likely to stop someone suspicious if they are African-American for fear of being called racist. That's the exact thing. I would be surprised if it was that well, high. I, I, and, and Again, that's... Go ahead. Now, they only pulled 1,200 cops, but it was around the country. So, I mean, uh, you know, again, you've got 800,000 800, police in the United States, but... Regardless of whether the number is 40%, 50%, 30%, or 72%, it's still a percent, which, Absolutely. you know, I mean... Uh, societal I, I, societal I, attitude is going to change our behaviour. Uh, we're a reflection of what society does and wants, but 72% is a huge thing. People can play with stats and depends on who's 
running the stats and running the surveys. Uh, the meat industry, when they're doing a, a survey, you, they will say you've got to eat more meat. When the vegetable industry is doing a survey, they'll say you've got to eat more vegetables. So 72% is huge, and, and I'm sceptical of it, as, as Marshall is. If it was true, it would destroy me. Mm. Well, it's you guys are retired. I, I Well, I, again, who knows? I know that's what's been published. So, But the point is, is that even if it's 10 or 15%, that's not good. So going back, going, going back into, you know, if you want to talk about society, I mean, when I was a kid growing up, we always talked about America was a melting pot and that was a great thing. You know, I mean, you had Chinese, you had, you know, you had, uh, African-Americans, you had Hispanics, you had Irish, you had Italians, you had Greeks, you had all this and we're a melting pot. And that's our strength is that we're, it's a melting pot. We get something from everybody around the world and that's our strength, but nobody talks about that anymore. Everybody is just clearly defining them. It's turning more tribal where this, this uh, group is against this group or is against that group. It's against this group, and I can't be in, involved with you because of that group. And I think that's, it's spilling over to policing, you know, which it has always been a problem. I, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? As, and, and, and getting back to the defunding the police program. Well, I'm going to say that uh, Australia is uh, very proud of our multiculturalism as well. Uh, we like to be welcoming to as many people as we can, and that's the majority of people. There is always going to be a percentage of people who against whatever's happening. You know, you've got the Proud Boys and all those sorts of uh, groups that we don't know exactly what their drive is, but they are against different cultures and races and, uh, and, and those sorts of things. Um, you have groups in society who are going to oppose it. The media focus on the negative, mm. and that's what we hear a lot of. Mm. In my opinion, in my experience, in 42 years of policing, 90 to 95% of the people in Australia, in the world, want to be inclusive of everybody. There's just a small majority that make it hard. The squeaky wheel gets the attention. That's what we hear about. And if we were to be listening to the greater part of society, society would be uh, have a better opinion of itself. Okay. What's your feedback on that, Dad? As we begin to diversify policing, you know, I think acceptance will come along with the diversification of the police departments, and some understanding will come about as well. Some of the uh, hardcore, for lack of a better term, no, no, it's, a, it's, a, it's an accurate term, bigots that are on the police departments now, as they're exposed to people in the same uh, job as they are that are of a different ethnic background and realize that this person lives and eats and drinks and has the same hopes and aspirations as I do, maybe we'll get to a point at some point in time that these fears of contact with persons outside our own ethnicity will diminish. That, that's, that, you know, it, maybe it's a pie-in-the-sky dream, but uh, I certainly hope that that's uh, uh, forthcoming. I completely agree with that. We're, in South Australia, we're proactively bringing in multicultural people so that we can break down some of those barriers. And the more multicultural people we bring into the police, the more it will be perceived that this is a multicultural organisation and more people from different backgrounds will want to become and feel included as police officers. And, and that's just going to spread. And that exposure to different societies, different cultures will be a good thing. A little experience for me when I was travelling the world, I, uh, I went to Egypt on one of my holidays, met some police officers uh, there, and without going into the whole long story, one of the uh, officers came to me and said, what do you think of us Egyptian people? Do you think we're all terrorists? 
So that was what they perceived. The world sees all of Egypt as terrorists. We had a, a lengthy discussion, or it was actually quite short, but went on to uh, a lengthy discussion afterwards. And I just said, listen, there are terrorists everywhere in the world. There are good white people. There are bad white people. doesn't matter where you go. It's a minority of people who are negative. The majority of people are beautiful. And that's why I'm visiting Egypt. I got invited back to his, my partner and I got invited back to his place for, for dinner and we had an absolutely sensational time from there on. But they were sceptical about people from the West coming and visiting Egypt. So, you know, the same thing happens throughout the world. But I totally believe that 95% of people in the world are beautiful, inclusive and want society to be great. But they don't go out and make a big deal of it because mm. they're just the quiet majority. Mm. Well, yeah, I, I, that's what I want to believe, but I, I just am struggling personally. For example, as a ch- as a kid growing up in the 70s, 80s, you know, it just seems worse now than it was then, you know. Uh, and and the, the reality is, is that, you know, there's all this anger. And defund the police is one of those outlets of that anger that's grown from that. You know, get rid of all the police is basically what that is. You know, take that money, give it to social workers, so-and-so, this, that, and the other thing. And I don't understand it, to be honest. In the United States, there was all this anger towards police. We had an African-American president, African-American attorney general, African-American police chiefs in most of the major metro cities in America. And still, the police are viewed as, you know, a uh, a tool uh, to keep uh, people bound. So I just don't, uh, I'm wondering why that is, you know. I think there's an element of there is a bit of a movement and people like to be involved in something that's popular. And so more people get involved just because it's a movement. When they really sat down, and if they really sat down and analysed it, they would realise that defunding the police is, in my opinion, in my opinion, illogical. Well, completely. Yeah, yeah. We're just going to go back to anarchy. The gangs are going to be ruling. And I can't imagine a mother that's making her kids sleep in the bathtub, you know, because they're afraid of the bullets, a stray bullet hitting their kid in in bed, saying, I want less police. I just don't believe that. Yeah, but anyway. Well, unfortunately, here in this country, we're having a a big schism between uh, the races, and it is being... uh, promoted by some of our elected officials from the top right on down through the local aldermen. And if that kind of uh, uh, support for the hate groups uh, is out there, people are, like you said, Derek, people are going to join because it's a popular thing to do. I heard someone say once that people believe in conspiracies because they like to think that they know something that no one else does. Yeah. And it puts them in a superior frame of mind to the rest of society makes perfect sense to me of some of the uh, conspiracies that are out there but when those things are promoted by people that we feel are our representatives how can we deny the fact that uh, the the race relations are spiraling towards uh, all-time low the uh, conspiracy theorists are also controversial and uh, uh, and sensationalist and, you know, that's what attracts attention. People like to talk about controversies and sensationalism, and that's why the media focuses on those things as well. Um, and that drives involvement. And as we were saying during one of the breaks, if you form a line, people will just get on the line because it's there. They think there's a reason for it. 
they will follow a movement because they think, oh, this is the next trend. I want to be part of the next trend, or it's justified somehow. Back to what we were talking about, gang members and gang people. Yeah. That's why they uh, joined the gangs, and that's why these people are, are joining these uh, conspiracy theorists and, uh, uh, and racist organizations. Some, something that uh, you, you, you both uh, brought, we're running short on time here, but I, I want to throw in real quick that you made me think about here is even back with Booker T. Washington, okay, which is, I mean, over well over a century ago, he used to warn about there's a certain percentage of people, and, and I'm totally butchering this, so sorry, uh, anybody that's listening. Please look this up on your, uh, when you have a chance. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> but his point was there's always going to be these people that want to keep uh, the race baiters going, that want to keep people at other people's throats because it provides opportunity, economic opportunity, and opportunity for power for them to play groups off each other. And that's Booker T. Washington. You know, that's way before the civil rights movement started. And Malcolm X himself, the reason why, one of the reasons he was assassinated is when he went to, to the Holy Land, he found black people and white people getting along as brothers in Islam. And he realized that this is not a black and a white problem. This is a Western societal problem. And that's one of the reasons they, they assassinated him. So, I mean, yep. the point is, it like, is this, it's the same point that we made in the beginning and Derek keeps making over and over so well, is that we just need to be better people. It's that simple. And that's it. We need to be better people. We need to be the kind of people that we want to be instead of the kind of people that we see on television. So with that, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back after some words from our sponsors. At Elders Insurance Adelaide East, our mission is to provide outstanding service and superior coverage to each and every one of our clients. With over 30 years of experience, we treat every client with mutual respect and understanding. We'll listen carefully to your specific needs and requirements in order to develop insurance solutions with a level of service and coverage you can't find anywhere else. Elders Insurance Adelaide East is a family-owned and run business with Italian tradition which is built on honesty, integrity and trust. Make an appointment today and go and see Tony and the team at Elders Insurance Adelaide East, 54 to 56 Kensington Road, Rose Park or telephone 8364 9477. We're an authorised representative of Elders Insurance, underwriting agency, Proprietary Limited, Elders Insurance, underwritten by QBE Insurance, Australia Limited. Vuoi promuovere la tua attività? Vuoi aumentare il tuo volume di affari? Non sai a chi rivolgerti? Chiama Radio Italia 1. Il nostro staff commerciale è a disposizione per ogni informazione o preventivo personalizzato. Chiama all'82 123177. Radio Italia 1. E anche tu sarai un numero 1. Radio Italia 1. You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. Hello and welcome back to Change the World with Matt McQuinley. In the last couple of minutes we have left, I just want to thank Derek, our 42-year veteran of the South Australian Police Department's Elite Star Group, for being here today and giving his insights. Thank you again, Matt. It 
Absolute pleasure being here again. Love this conversation. Marshall, great interacting with you. And we'll see you again next week. And I also want to thank Sergeant McQuinley, 26-year veteran of the Aurora Police Department, which is a suburb of Chicago in the United States. And I also want to thank Sergeant McQuinley, 26-year veteran of the Aurora Police Department, which is a suburb of Chicago. Thank you for being with us today, Marshall. It's been my pleasure. I, uh, this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart, a profession that I am proud to have been a re- uh, member of. And uh, I hope that uh, anything that has come from uh, my side of the pond would uh, be appropriate and uh, of interest to people uh, in your area. And we hope that uh, we can continue to bring more information to you as uh, you see fit. Next week, we will continue our three-part series on policing. And as always, I will leave you with a motivational message. Because of our our focus today on policing, I want to talk to you a little bit about thieves. I want to talk to you about a jewel thief named Arthur Berry. Arthur Berry was a jewel thief, but an amazing jewel thief. And he only sold for, stole from the super, super, super wealthy. The Carnegies, the Vanderbilts, the Rockefellers. This was many, many years ago. And he was so good. He used to call the police before he was going to rob someone, tell them he was going to rob them, and then do it. The P ran circles around law enforcement for, for years and years and years and years before he was finally caught because he was turned in by a jealous girlfriend. He was actually caught in the act of robbing somebody and was shot by police at the scene, lying in a pool of his own blood with glass in his eyes. He looked up and said something insightful. He said, I don't think I want to do this anymore. Well, anyway, he was arrested. He served his debt to society. He got out of prison. He changed his name. And then he moved to a small seaside community on the East Coast of the United States. He became, in a short amount of time, a big wheel in the local politics and also became a head of the local Veterans Administration Association. But unfortunately for him, the press figured out who he was and started hectoring him. And he was forced to hold a press conference. And he was asked all kinds of adversarial, confrontational questions like, how does it feel to be a crook? Why are you hiding who you were? Blah, 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 blah. Until finally, one reporter asked him a question that he was happy to answer. The reporter said, Mr. Barry, of all the people that you robbed, the Carnegies, the Vanderbilts, the Rockefellers, the Morgans, who did you rob from the most? And without batting an eye, Arthur Barry answered, myself. He said, I could have been a captain of industry. I ran the police around in circles forever. With all my skill at planning and executing crime, with all my skill of dealing with people, with I've, I've become this, this a big wheel in the politics here locally. I'm head of this Veterans Administration. I could have done anything. I could have been a captain of industry. I could have been a successful uh, leader in politics. I could have been a successful business person. But instead, I chose to steal from myself 
and I never reached my potential. The second thief I want to talk about today is you. If you are not waking up every morning asking yourself, what can I do to reach my potential? What can I do to change the world for the better? What can I do to realize my dreams? Then you are stealing from yourself. And we can't stand the person that steals our car. Somebody steals our car, we say, well, you catch that guy and you let me be in that room with him alone for five minutes and I'll show you. But what is worse? A material possession that can be replaced? Or laying on your deathbed feeling that you stole from yourself. And there are two kinds of people listening to this podcast right now. There's the kind of person that will wake up every day and think about what can they do to reach their potential? What can they do to change the world for the better? And they will sit on their deathbed, lay in their deathbed, singing my life. No, excuse me. Singing my way by Frank Sinatra and mean every word. And then there is the kind of person on their deathbed which will feel a life of regret. The question as always is, which one are you?